1: Here are your host for the Heart of Innovation, Emmy Award-winning journalist and founder of The Way to My Heart, Kim McNicholas, and interventional cardiologist and founder of the Save My Piggies Health Education series, Dr. John Phillips.
2: Welcome everybody to the Heart of Innovation. We are live from Chicago, Illinois at the AMP Critical Limb Conference. Kim, we're having a fantastic time. The conference is wrapping up. What have you learned so far?
3: So many different things. I mean, the the conversations that are happening here are so incredible. They give us so much hope that we may be able to prevent all amputations at some point. And, you know, I know, right? (laughs) You You can't see my
2: eyes get real big. (laughs) But
3: But, um, so the AMP conference is all about preventing amputations. And so we have doctors here from all over the world and they're sharing the latest tools techniques of um for unblocking arteries mainly in the legs and yeah, i
2: mean it, it's i love coming here uh, yesterday which is thursday we did cases that were broadcast we're always trying to innovate and um show and teach physicians and, and industry alike as to you know what we're able to do what we need Uh, you know, worked on and fixed innovation because this is part of innovation. uh, And, uh, you know, one of the guests that we're going to have on is an innovator. So that's going to be kind of interesting here as the show progresses. So I can't wait to hear from uh, Fuzzy.
3: And in fact, uh, they do things that are live here. They actually do cases live. Talk a little bit about that because you did it. And then also right now, as we speak, we have a live case that's going on where Fuzzy's technology, our guest we're just gonna keep hinting at this, is being used.
2: Yeah, so the live case, the, the premise behind it is, we're back in our cath lab, this was in Columbus, Uh, we're kind of mic'd up they're streaming the video to the conference in the uh, in the ballroom and folks are able to kind of watch live uh, what we're doing with respect to treating somebody with uh, critical limb ischemia
3: which is the most advanced stage of peripheral artery disease which is our you know it's it's those blocked arteries we always it is and
2: it and these are the sickest of the sick these folks have a very high mortality rate um worse than most cancers. And so what we're trying to do is not only preserve their limb, but save the piggies, but also preserve their life and and give them better quality of life. So we get all set up. We do the case and uh, there's panelists that are, you know, watching what we do. They make recommendations. We have good banter. Everybody tries to learn something and uh, hopefully we get a good result and and are able to teach uh, folks that, you know, maybe would not have chosen to tackle that blockage, or uh, maybe they see that what some of us do is, is a little bit more complex and say, you know what, maybe I should just send that off to somebody. Because, you know, we talk about how do we get access to our patients who may be in, in more rural areas or are in places such that uh, they don't have folks that can can do some of the things. So it's important, I think, to to raise awareness, not only to physicians, but also patients, which is what, you know, your specialty is.
3: You know, it's frustrating, though, is that, you know, the people who do come here, they learn something, but there is this whole contingency of vascular specialists that are out there that never attend an advanced conference like this. And so I almost feel like sometimes being at a conference like this, we're, we're preaching to the choir and we really need to raise awareness um, to other physicians that are treating peripheral artery disease that there are these advanced options and you can do more to save the leg.
2: Exactly. And and you're right. I mean, it, it, there's kind of a selection bias. People that are coming here want to do this. These cases are challenging. These patients are challenging. Uh, so we have to work on better ways to kind of spread the word, so to speak. Yeah. And disseminate the information. And that's why we do this. Right. I mean, It's on iHeartRadio. It's live. Uh, We want to reach as many people as we can. And the other thing that you're fantastic at and that that we that I try to do as well is the patient's the advocate, the patient's the quarterback of their care. Right. They need to uh, advocate for themselves, family members, et et cetera, because, you know, I hate amputations and it's oftentimes easier to just remove the limb from a. Medical standpoint, physician standpoint, than to to spend the time to try to open up the vessel and and really because these folks too oftentimes need multiple procedures, so it's a labor of love and they are with you for a long time.
3: Yeah, it's true. I think it's about time we bring in our our guest, but we have one more thing we got to do first. Dun da, da da It is time for Doctor John Phillips' moment of inspiration. <laughs>
0: Dr. John Phillips, spectacular, vascular moment of inspiration. Well, so this was very impromptu.
2: We're in Chicago. Um, and so I was kind of looking up interesting quotes about Chicago. I love Chicago. I'm from Wisconsin. Great city in the summertime. The air and water shows going on, so you can hear the, the Thunderbirds buzzing by us. And so here's a quote from H.L. Mencken. He says, I give you Chicago. It is not London and Harvard. It is not Paris and buttermilk. It is America and every chitling and spare <laughs> rib. It is alive from snout to tail. <laughs> Clearly, that pig has all its digits. Those piggies, i got to save
3: those. And you know, what was really funny. Is during the case, I had... Um, someone come up to me later and said they thought of me because at the end of your live case, when you were presenting, you said, let's see if we saved the piggies. That's right. Cause
2: she, that pa- that particular patient um, had lost her first digit and potentially might lose her second. But again, to, to lose a couple digits sucks, but as, in the grand scheme of things, if you can preserve the foot and the leg, it's a win. So, that I'm I guarantee you that patient will not lose any more than that little second digit. So,
3: which is good. You can and- take
2: that to the bank. <laughs>
3: you can take that to the piggy bank. <laughs>
2: the piggy banks. <laughs> Fuzzy, do you think we'd you be this? You can't make
3: this up. <laughs> <I can't. laughs> At least we're laughing. You know? Plus he's like, uh, it's I'm the good power with of radio. Totally good. This is my. I'm, in the,
4: I'm with the right crew.
3: Yes, you totally are. You know, the good thing about radio is that we can't see if anyone's laughing with us. So, you know, we can they're just be a two-person just, party.
2: They're probably just shaking their head. And this is actually what we're doing right now is we're standing kind of in a corner and the three of us are around a microphone that uh, Kim is holding. But this is better than Zoom because, you know, we can kind of interview. The talking is yeah. So, I don't know. It'd be nice yeah. if you lived. We're
3: having good combo. I yeah. know. I need to move to or Columbus, Ohio. to move
2: my family to uh, the Bay Area, maybe.
3: California. <laughs> right. We got the sunshine.
2: I don't know yeah, about that. Well, the fog. You got the fog. And the fog. we
3: have the fog. Breath yeah, the fog. Well, that's what we call California sunshine.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, Fuzzy, tell us a little bit about your background you're an entrepreneur innovator inventor you were a cath lab tech many moons ago Uh and obviously are doing a lot of things different now but uh, give us a little bit about your background or how you got into how you got to where you are now well
4: my uh i'll give you the like early background was uh, my mom was a nurse oh wow i used to watch marcus welby Ben Casey, Dr. Kildare, and I love this show, Emergency. So I was always fascinated with medicine. When I was a Boy Scout, I had a medical kit. You know, I got my merit badge, you know, for uh, for medical, and I just was fascinated with it. So um, my my father said to me, you're going to have to get a job sometime in life. Pick one of these three areas. So healthcare people are always going to need that, they're always going to need to eat, and they're probably always going to wear clothes as long as you're alive. So I chose healthcare. care. And uh, I went into the military. I was in the Navy. I was a Navy corpsman.
3: Oh, I didn't know that. My dad is was a catset
4: Yeah. So, I was a corpsman. So a Navy corpsman is a medic. Okay. Okay. So they do cool. a variety of things. So you can work in the hospital. Um, I was actually stationed with the Marines. That was part of my sea time. Or I could be a state ship when you become ship's crew. And uh, they put you through a number of schools, like nursing school. So it's really amazing. And in the Navy, you get just a wide range of of things to do. Yeah. And then uh during my navy career after I left the marine corps I went to cardiopulmonary school and um uh, so I became a cardiopulmonary person meaning that I was trained to work in all facets of the cardiology business. So I could do echoes, I could do stress testing, I could do pulmonary function testing, I could work in the heart room, work in the ICU and work in the cath lab, which is where I really liked. So I was always fascinated with the catheters and the guidewires and stuff. When I got out of the Navy, I actually ran a pediatric cath lab at Children's Hospital in Washington, DC. Wow. So I spent 13 years there, and I worked with kids that had congenital heart disease. We trained about 600 cardiology fellows while I was there, so I got to know a lot of people. That's why I'm somewhat more popular in this space, you know? And then uh, during my time uh, at Children's, I used to come up with ideas. Because you know, I was problem solving, because most of the products we had mm. were, were designed for adults that weren't designed for children. Mm. So we had like a steamer to shape a catheter, you know, a special shape, or, uh, oh, you know, we had a to care. make up <laughs> wire, you know, <laughs> and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was really interesting. So we were adopting adult technology into children, but that, that technology has gotten better.
3: We'll come up right here on the Heart of Innovation. We're going to hear more from Norm furbush I had to say your name finally, but we just know you as Fuzzy. We'll explain that, uh, that nickname coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation. So stay with us.
1: Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips.
2: Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us here again. We're live in Chicago at the AMP Conference trying to prevent uh, amputations. We're learning from physicians and and innovators, and our guest today is uh, Norm Fuzzy, right? Uh, so, all right. How'd you get the nickname, or Fuzzy, or you went by Fuzzy for quite some time, but now you transitioned back to
4: Norm because you're you're a bigwig now. Huh? So my uh, dad went to Curry College he had a, on a two-handed basketball scholarship. You couldn't shoot one hand back then, and he was a very very good athlete, and he had a putch haircut all the time. I so think. Fuzzy, I'm Fuzz Junior, actually.
3: <laughs> so that's how that
4: is. And it just stuck. And my last name is Furbish, So Fuzzy Furbush. You, you're not going to forget that.
3: No, absolutely never. But it was so funny because <laughs> when I, I mentioned to John that I wanted to interview you for the show today, um, I was like, yeah, you know, I, there's this guy, Fuzzy. He'd be really great. Do you know him? And he's like, oh, sure. Whatever. Great. <laughs> well, no, you didn't you didn't know him no, by Fuzzy. No, right. And so you texted
2: us, Fuzzy Furbush. I'm like, is that a new, like, is that a, I don't even know that. Is it a, <laughs> A restaurant or <laughs> like right.
4: you know, yourself? We're going to fuzzy Stocker shop. Fuzzy
2: <laughs> Before we went to break, you were just kind of telling us about you know you're in the cath lab, pediatric cath lab. You're innovating. So how long were you been in the pediatric cath lab for? And then I'm assuming you pivoted to adults.
4: Uh, I did both adult and okay. kids at the same time. We had kids. So at children's, we had children that were one hour old all the way to like 40 years.
3: Oh five. my goodness!
4: So you know we did have general, yeah, because they're it. staged or they have, you know, issues where you have to, you know, you have to make measurements and people have shunts and congenital heart disease is really, uh, I would say that's more like a science experiment. You know, when we're dealing with uh, the adult world, it's mostly coronaries or arteries or veins and stuff like that. We're not dealing with the structural stuff at heart. So it was very exciting for me. So I had the adult experience in the Navy and then I used to work part time over at the Washington hospital center. They used to do about a hundred hearts a day and then uh then that's where I, was, I met dr laird and you know a number of other people
3: so john laird is a a legend in the space
4: interventional cardiologist yeah yep so we worked together in washington dc oh fantastic so that, yeah that worked out really how long good. how long did you work in in the cath lab space as a as a tech for so 13 at children's and then in the navy was about two years okay you know with school and everything. so then at what point did you pivot to i want to start making things. yeah so we um I was making stuff in the cath lab, but uh, um, I actually uh, told a rep about the device that I had, and they made the company made it. Well, we didn't get any credit for it. It was a uh, it was a balloon angio it was a balloon catheter, and it was like a Swan Ganz catheter, but it was designed for angiograms. so you could do a balloon occlusion angiogram. And so the holes were in the front of it instead of behind it gotcha so there was a mike berman was a famous cardiologist in baltimore and he uh came up with the idea of the berman catheter the holes were behind the balloon and my catheter was the holes were in front of the balloon so he got his name on it but he ended up suing the company i guess because they put his name on it without telling but anyways you always be careful when you're talking about your products or your ideas that's what i
2: get and that that'll be something that we should talk about as the show progresses like what does it take to to have an idea In your head that you Mm -hmm. think is going to work but yet to get it actually where someone it's in someone else's hands there is a process that's a heck of a process i'm kind of going through that myself yeah because uh,
4: even just getting a patent is very complicated i mean just getting one you know because the patent office actually doesn't want to give you a patent. how many patents do you have 15. 15 yeah (laughs) they don't want to give most people but 15 is is
3: pretty good what was your first patent
4: uh first patent actually was a golf invention
3: Oh, tell us like about sport. that.
4: Oh, okay. See, this is the beauty of this show. <laughs> so, you uh, thought we were going to talk about medicine? No, we're talking, we're about, talking we're about, about golf. We're talking about golf. actually. The acronym for golf is Geometrical Oriented Linear Force. That's uh, the acronym for golf.
3: Yeah, I didn't uh, even know it was an acronym. It's not funny. Yeah, that's,
4: yeah. That's, Wait, that's, the actual game? Well, golf, yeah. So there's a famous author, a golf coach. He wrote a book on the physics of golf, and that's what he called it. His name was uh, Homer Kelly. It's a famous book. Mm-hmm. It's literally on physics. And he used his so wife golf? as his mom. The word golf is an acronym. Well, it's, and I, there's a couple of other ones. <laughs> right, exactly. We're, we're, we're going to leave those out. Well, this be the, <laughs> the, okay. the physics one is a good one I like. Yeah, so it's good. But yeah, my first patent was a golf invention, and it was a six-way adjustable alignment device. So you put it on the ground, and you could practice you know, using it. Uh, so it I see. Yeah, it wasn't anything like to play golf, but it was for practice.
3: Did you commercialize that?
4: I did not. I did not. I actually went to the top guy in the world, which is David Ledbetter at the time. Next. I spent six hours with him in uh, Las Vegas at a golf show, and they uh it, it was going to cost too much to make. Mm. So, you know, it was going to cost $30 to make it. You're going to sell for 100 and he didn't feel the markets were good enough. And I was a really low handicapper at that time. You know, I was a one handicap. And he said, I think you made this for you, because most of the people that need golf instruction need, need to be like a 15 handicap and up. Mm. So, you know, I was making it. So you're a good golfer. Pretty good. Yeah, I inherited it from my dad. So. And that's kind of nice. Yeah.
3: So, okay. So your first patent was was golf. Do you have other random, I mean, we're sitting here talking to you because we care about your impact on healthcare and your innovation there. But now I'm fascinated by what other crazy, strange areas in which you have invented and why you decided to So I invent. went on
4: a fishing trip and uh, I saw the first mate struggling. They used rubber bands. When you're in saltwater fishing, you have the line wound up, Mm -hmm. and I have this idea. It's a medical idea, but when I went on the fishing trip, the first mate was struggling because the rubber bands were breaking, and I said, I think I've got something for this, so I made a fishing tool. It's called spin drive. so people use it on saltwater boats to manage their fishing gear or their lines.
3: And was that commercialized?
4: That's commercialized, yeah.
3: So if and that was your first product that was actually commercialized. Oh uh, no, no, that was, okay. that was
4: just a, like a, a off. The first oh, product so you had something that was similar. To yeah, I have, have so I have a medical device pivot. that actually maintains the guidewire and, and and coils. So instead Uh-oh. of rehooping the wire, so the guide wires is coming to hoop. When you take the wire out, it's, sometimes it's very hard to put it back in. And these wires are twelve feet know, yeah, long, really three hundred centimeters, yeah. and they're thin, four. And they're designed to navigate through the arteries or veins. And um, so uh, I decided being a tech and working with Dr. Phillips, you know, I'd be wiping off the wires and managing the wires while he's, you know, twerking the catheters and all that kind of stuff. I said, God, why don't we just have something that we don't have to rehoot Because, you know, we're moving pretty quick, you know, and yeah. maybe Dr. Phillips is tapping his foot while I'm wiping <laughs> the wire off and, <laughs>
2: extracting,
4: right? and extracting. Like, what is, what is what's doing over there, you know? <laughs> There are lots of things to manage guide wires on the table, but when you're putting it back in the move, you could bend it and the guide wires can be up to like three hundred dollars. Wow. So that's not a good thing. You know, so uh, my idea was just to spin something on a guide wire. It's that simple. So that is in process right now. Oh, yeah. so we're going to be oh, making wow. that. But my first real medical device was Swiper and that was actually to wipe off a catheter and guide wire so when we manufacture a catheter or a guide wire or any medical device it goes through a very strict process of uh manufacturing so uh it has to be cytotoxic you know non-cytotoxic there's pyrogens you can't have pyrogens in it it, it can't a pyrogen? have like, a pyrogen is like a, a it's in the water when they manufacture the product so it's like a bug so you have to have the water it has to be super clean yeah. And uh and then the the, the products also have to be latex free, DEHP free, BPA free. They need to be yes. Prop sixty-five compliant for California. You know, it's a certain manufacturing process. So my first product that was commercialized was Swiper, which is a it's a foam wipe to wipe off the catheters and guide bars. And why not use a product that you manufacture the product with in the beginning, use it actually in the procedure itself because the, also the coatings that are on the devices, right, are very sophisticated, They're called hydrophilic. And they go on the catheter two different ways, or the wire. They either spray coat it or they dip coat it. But the wire, when you wipe it off with what they've been doing for a long time, is using a gauze, right? And the uh, and I actually know the history of gauze. The first time a gauze was used, sterile, was in 1886. That was Robert, Robert Wood Johnson, 1886. Yeah. That was the first, first time because that's Johnson and Johnson. That he is Johnson. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
3: Oh, I had no idea where we're learning a whole bunch of new and they used things it for surgery, here.
4: But the first cath ever done was done by Warner Forceman, and that was in 1929 when he injected himself with contrast. With a calf. <laughs> that was
2: part of our uh, medical history. <laughs> it <show>. was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was and one the, of my
3: favorite the, stories. Yeah. Uh, the, he, really, he
4: pivoted to urology after that. <laughs> <It's the laughs> right. Right. And the first um, uh, actual guide wire was. Uh, uh, made by, um, I think it was Dr. Ann Platz, actually. Okay. It was yeah, a piano wire. Sense. Yeah. So p- that's sense. what he used. Yeah.
3: Well, coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation, we're going to continue to learn new things from Norma Fuzzy Furbush, so you don't want to miss a moment. Stay with us. Life and limb could depend on it.
1: Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips.
2: Welcome back, everybody, to the Heart of Innovation. We're uh, continuing our conversation uh, with Norm. Kim's joining me again. We're live here in Chicago. So, Norm, uh, you know, during the break, we were just kind of discussing the whole process of taking an idea that is in your brain that you think is going to work and that everybody thinks is going to work. Then all of a sudden now turning into a project that or a product that uh, somebody can use. So walk us through that. A lot of pitfalls, I imagine. I think I overheard you say creep, crawl, walk and run to somebody who is asking for your advice. So, yeah, let's talk about that.
4: So there's a lot of when you're developing a device or medical device, especially, there's a lot of things that come into play with that. One is uh, you need to create a business. Right. So if you let's just go. Let me just step back. I had an idea and they were actually uh, the three ideas were out of the gate. They were accidental device contamination products. And so. What that means is I didn't want if Dr. Phillips spent two hours crossing a lesion and the wire falls off the side of the table, we have to throw the wire away. Right. So we just had two hours of time. That's a lot, right? It's not only a lot, but it's a lot of x ray. It's the patients being sedated on the table. There's a lot of things that come in play. So my first ideas were to keep the guide wire from falling off the table. And when fellows learn how, or new new techs learn how to manage wires, it happens. It's not, you know, it's not, uh, it doesn't happen on purpose, but it can happen. So
2: just for our listeners... The wires that we use are very, very thin in diameter, but it is actually the kind of the rate limiting step for us to be successful for the procedure. We have to get a wire across the blockage and over that wire, we can use balloons, stents, these devices that we talk about. So if you can't wire the the blockage, you can't do anything. So these are uh, very important for us. And so to spend all that time doing that procedure getting through it and then all of a sudden to have it now contaminated and have to pull it out is really going to take off the doctor
4: (laughs) it's not going to be good i know because being in technology heads are going to roll that happens that's that's like you that's a never event you don't want it to ever happen exactly exactly so uh so i've had ideas on lots of different things i have about 50 ideas kind of crazy but when i was working with uh, the products i was making my prototypes. And the prototypes are really funny looking when you see them because I saved them all. And uh, like I made my stuff out of Home Depot or Lowe's or Hobby Lobby, you know, I would just go there and find something and manufacture it myself because that's where it starts. So it starts with a post-it note or a thought in your head, a post-it note, you write it down, then I have graph paper, I did on the graph paper, and then I started making the product just on my own. So, you know, you can – there are prototypers out there that you can go. And now that we have 3D technology, we can do 3D printing, which is really cool. And uh, so you get CAD drawings and you kind of move it forward. How do you
2: protect that idea in your head, that idea that you had in your head, right? You have to follow that. that's an
4: interesting situation. So when you – when you have the idea, you go on and start doing some market surveillance. Like I would go to Dr. Phillips, right? And I'd say, hey, do you think this is a good idea? And you're like, "Plus, I don't think that area is broken. Maybe we don't need to fix that. You know what I mean? Or maybe that person just doesn't get it. You know what I mean? So you start doing your surveillance. Probably you that go to your I friends, think. right? And then uh, once that happens and you feel like you got something special, then you uh start working on your patent. So there's a preliminary patent application, and that's – um a PA and that costs about a thousand dollars and then somebody has to write it. And then you have protection for a year. So you can start showing it. Now there's obviously an NDA non-disclosure agreement you could have with people, you get that signed, So you have something lawyered up with that. And then you start building your little company. Like you start with an LLC, you know, because you don't want to do doing business as let's say Buzzy, right? You want to have a real company because right. you're going to have insurance. And then you start working on the manufacturing process. So who could manufacture that? Gotcha. It's pretty
3: costly. I mean, right. That That's a lot of money
4: to get, start a product. And it, it, it's a lot. It's pro- I would say just to get it going about one hundred thousand dollars wow.
2: with with the so the provisional patent
4: gives you kind of that placeholder for you. It gives your, you uh, one year. So when you file that on January 1st, you have to file a patent by December 31st. Of that year that that's or or it's gone, right you know so that that's an what you learn over that year of what it can do, what it can't do you're going to learn how to manufacture it right that can be part of the patent process so you can plug it all in you know because there's a couple of different kinds of patents right
3: is there is there a key to writing the patents i I think it's so hard because you can't you can't have everything in there. And, you know, everything, you know, including the kitchen sink, right? You have to be very, very careful, very very precise,
4: but broad as well. Well, yeah, it can be broad, but the first thing you want to do is if you have the idea is you pay a patent search uh, attorney, right? It's like 500 bucks and you can have a patent search done within five days and you can see if there's any other intellectual property that's out there. And then you can look at all their stuff and then you say, okay, yeah, we might have something here. We can fit it into this box, you know, and uh, we'll make things happen. I've been lucky because most of the time I didn't have to cite a lot of other patents. Okay. You know what I mean? So uh, citing another patent means there's another inventor out there and you you can use their work. You know what I mean? And maybe you made their your product better. You know that sometimes how it works is that
2: the freedom to operate term that I hear it could be yeah that would that's right it We're, could be so explain that to our listeners.
4: Um, well, freedom to operate means that you when uh, you let's say you don't have your patent yet, right? You can be in a patent pending status and you can move the product out. Okay. You know what I mean? So okay. that that's a, kind of how the other thing, too, is if you if the person has a patent, and the person never did anything, maybe you can go to them and say, hey, I'd like to buy your patent. Or maybe we could work on something together and they would get royalties or something like that. So there's a lot of ways, you know, and then there are obviously people out there. The bad side of things, we call them patent trolls. They'll go out and buy the IP from somebody and then they'll come to you and say, hey, I own that IP and you're infringing on it. So they want you to pay them. So it's very complicated. But um, you know, starting a business—it's incredible. Um, I've done a good job with it. Um, I actually, my first business that I ever had, going back, was a limo company. That was my first company. I know.
3: (laughs) A limo company. That's
4: (laughs) random. How did
3: that? The limo company
4: went really well. Like I drove Black (laughs) Sabbath. Golf, (laughs) (laughs) golf, (laughs) fishing, fishing, limo company, (laughs) healthcare. (laughs) Right, just moving around. So the, the Lumo company was a lot of fun. I learned a lot about business, but it was overwhelming because I had taken an industry job at that time. So when I was in the cath lab, there was a company named Spectronetics, and we used to take out pacemaker leads because kids grow and, the laser too. and they and the leads stretch and they need to come out. Right. So we were taking out pacemaker leads and the regional manager was just thrilled with me because he used to be able to bring people and we were training them and uh and it was a lot of fun he said look i'd like you to come work for me as a clinical so i lasted as a clinical for six weeks and then they said why don't you be a sales rep so i did a sales rep for three months and like the number went up really quickly and the, the vp of sales said hey um what are you doing <laughs> to make these numbers and i said i was just paying myself you know people need product on the shelf and they needed to you know like okay how do we use this you know how do we use it correctly so and then i did that for three months and then i became a regional manager and then i hired my first person in april of that year and then I ended up with 18 people and i covered from uh, philly to atlanta mm-hmm. for that company and i actually did some innovation with them as well and uh,
2: so while you're doing this you're still innovating you know your your designs and whatnot and so let me ask you like at between that year of the provisional and then needing to file the non-provisional mm-hmm. You're forming the company. In your mind, do you have a certain amount of money that you're willing to spend on this design, or are you like, okay, I'm just going to take this thing and run with it, and I'm going to try to get other folks to help uh, fund this for me? How does that? How do you I was work actually that?
4: really lucky. So there's different kinds of investors. There's venture capitalists, and then there's angel investors. You know, your friends and family. So when you're doing a when you're doing an LLC and you're raising money. Uh, the SEC rules require them to be sophisticated investors. I mean, if they make an investment in the company, they they have to understand that they could potentially lose it. Sure. Right. So I was fortunate enough that people felt like if I was doing this, they were going to just jump off board.
3: Coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation, we're going to have more with Norm Fuzzy Furbush, So stay with us.
1: Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips.
2: Welcome back, everybody, to The Heart of Innovation. We're continuing our conversation with Fuzzy, and Kim and and I are here live in Chicago, so Buzzy, what do you have right now in the medical space that I play in with respect to doing procedures, wires, et cetera, that doctors are using? And um, after you answer that, then we'll move to what's in the future.
4: Okay, sure. So um, center, we'll just talk about intervention That's the co- company that I currently founded in 2010. We launched our first product in 2012, that was called Swiper. So it took about two years to develop that. Swiper was uh, about a hundred tries. With a foam, it's a foam sponge, and uh, it had to meet certain standards. Like, we couldn't scratch the coating off the guide wire. We don't want to leave anything behind on the guide wire because the products that we use today, and they're still used out there, is like a gauze, and that is full of fiber and lint. And that can be on the guide wire, and the the particle size is like 10 or you know 15 microns. you can't see it, so that can be introduced into that the body can be in- introduced into the body. So we do all this beautiful work, and then it sits down in the capillary and it can cause an a, a, make a thrombus or it can cause an occlusive granulola, so that's not good for the patient. So my goal was to make a product that was going to be easy to use, but we were going to be able to use it continuously throughout the case, so you just need one or two for the entire case. You just ring it out and you go again. So that, you know, it's just super easy. Also, the FDA came out with a paper in 2017 saying not to wipe anything off with a dry gauze. So when you wet a gauze and it's sitting on the side of the bowl or on the table, does that mean it's dry or does that mean it's wet? I don't know. But I know that Never with, thought of that. with the swiper, it holds 20 grams of saline. A, um, a gauze, a 4x4 gauze that we use in the cath lab today, um, it holds 10 so you know and the pore sizes are completely different you know the cell size and gauze is really not designed to be used over okay so but we do it and it's just part of the the way we do it so it's, it's, uh, we've not got to modify you know we've not modified everybody's behavior okay. so the manufacturing of the product is important right because we have to get it to you all clean and we should be using the product on the table just like we manufactured we're injecting something in no pun intended with the gauze you know what I mean, and or a cotton surgical towel. So just just as an idea, there's 2,000. We measure everything in particulate. That's what we call it. That's the fiber and lint or manufacturing particulate. So when I say particulate, there's 30,000 particulate in one gauze. There's 350,000 particulate in one surgical towel. Right, so if you use fifty gauze, right at thirty thousand, that's one point five million particulate. I couldn't get the medical device out of manufacturing with that amount of particulate in it. It has to be less than six thousand. That's USP seven eighty eight code, which is uh, like for, for pharmacies that when you make a medication. So the swiper is two thousand. It's manufacturing particulate. The other thing is is that gauze is made out of cotton, and cotton uh, has cellulose in it. That's the fiber. And, or gives the strength to the, uh, the product. And when we get that into your body, your body can't digest it. So that's a huge problem. Oh, that's and why we can't this. eat grass. Yeah. We've known this for years and it's well documented and multiple cardiologists and surgeons have written this book. We still haven't moved to that needle. So my second product I'll, is a uh, swasher. So when I started swiping wires, my uh, text would come up to me and say, we use blue or green towels so that particular lab had green towels in the lake we see where there's green fiber or lint in the swiper what's going on here we've never seen that well the pore sizes are different right and when you lay a guide wire or a catheter on that towel even after you wipe it off they're designed to pick up fiber and lint because they're hydrophilic and hydrophilic means that they have the affinity to hold water on them so you end up with that. So we're not seeing this because we do our best work in the dark. So when we're stepping on the floral pedal, the lights shut down and we're looking at the screen. We're not really looking at this, you know? So what can happen is the fiber lint just tracks down over the the catheter, pushes it in over the wire, like a snow plowing effect. That's what we call it. So Swasher was invented. So that's an ultra low-lint surgical towel. Okay. And then my latest product is called Swicker. And that took 10 years to develop. So Swasher came out in 2016, and uh, Swicker is my latest surgical sponge. So I had to develop the foam, uh, and it had to be, you know, DHP, BPA, latex-free, Prop 65 compliant, right? And we're using this in the body. But I also had to develop an ink, and the ink is the uh, – all the OR sponges require a radiopaque marker. Currently, it's called a barium string. We use ray, Raytex as a gauze. Mm-hmm. It sheds fiber and lint, just like we talked about in the cath lab, and also they have lap pads. So once a Raytex is about thirty thousand fiber and lint, and a lap pad is a hundred thousand fiber and lint. But when we, when the patient gets opened up, that material is getting into the patient that way. So there's four methods. There's direct, yeah. right? There's fluid. Right, there's just touching the medical device like your gloves, right? And uh, the last one is um, I cannot, but there are four. I've got you. You can go to the website; we'll give you all that. But um, anyways, uh, oh, the float we can—it's airborne. Sorry, it's airborne. So there are floaters in the room. We see it. Yep. Yeah, yeah, you see that's it. Sorry, yeah. So, um, so Sw- Swicker is just now coming out. And we've done about 30 uh, heart surgeries. We call them cabbages. That's where we have coronary artery bypass grasping on. And uh, the product is working amazingly. Normally in a cabbage, they use 150 to 200 sponges. With the towels, it could be up to 15 million particulate. With my products, the three, we're only using three sponges for the entire case. and also, How does that work? Are they just squeezing it out? They're really? designed for continuous use. So you okay. just bring it out and you go again. So you have one working and you have one waiting. So you just go back and forth the whole entire case. Because yeah, I've seen enough surgeries where they're just – They, just, they yeah. just use them. Yeah. yeah. They just throw – once it gets blood on it, they throw it away.
3: Now, you know, being you a know, patient advocate – I could imagine my patients actually sitting here listening to this and now not wanting to even (laughs) go and have any procedure done unless they have your product. I mean, knowing that all of this lint and and things like that is getting into our body or has the potential to get into our body with any one of these procedures, if they're not using your product, I would be scared. Should they be scared?
4: Well, I mean, uh, there are complications in any surgery. One of the complications is adhesions, and the adhesions come from the fiber or lint that's coming out of the sponges that they use today. So, once again, your body can't digest the cellulose, which is the lint that comes off of the towels or off of the sponges. So, when they, and there's no way to remove it during the surgery. So, when they close you back up, your body forms scar tissue, which is the adhesions. So, I just authored a paper on it and 60, so
2: there is some scientific there is evidence hundreds, to, yeah, hundreds to, of papers
4: to back that okay. on, on this subject. And I my when I wrote the paper, it's really well referenced, but there's not a lot of new stuff. There's stuff like from 1910, 1930, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, kind of works its way up. But, um, so you kind of, Oh, go ahead.
3: I have, and I'm not sure if this is an intelligent question. Um, but, okay,
2: we 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 ask a lot of unintelligent yeah, questions on this show.
3: When it comes to uh, this, when someone puts in a stent, right, or mm-hmm. in, you know, with these endovascular procedures, and a bunch of scar tissue builds builds up. Do you think? I know there's probably no data out there, but do you think additional scar tissue could be building because of exactly what you're saying? 100. I there actually really? is a
4: doc, I have a well a documented paper that there were two patients. And uh, they died from, uh, they had stents implanted in, in their coronaries, and they passed away. And the stents were removed, and they found fibromyalgia in the stents.
2: Yeah, but I, I think the, the scar tissue that you're speaking of is the the cellular reaction to the right.
4: actual device. Which call, there are
3: two different ones, but I'm done yeah. what I was
4: wondering. Pretty be, yeah, that's so pretty what happens right. is when you stretch the artery or the vein. What happens is the smooth muscle cells generate, and they try to form scar tissue over that um, device. Right. So. The action when we put a stent in—that's what we can call as a man-made disease because it's iatrogenic. That means man-made, right? We're putting something in the body that's not designed to be there, you know. Because you know, God didn't design us to, you know, not to be religious. But that's just the way we are, right? Well, we're fixing that, which right. is a good thing. Right. It's not a bad thing, okay? But um, it's man-made. So a lot of these things we cause on our own, you know what I mean? But we're evolving. The tools are getting better, like uh, Doctor Phillips was mentioning earlier. One of the reasons why we have these meetings is that the physicians get with industry. They either discuss their ideas or they get turned on to a new idea, which they haven't seen, you know, because um, physicians are working hard all the time. They don't necessarily get to see all the devices. So just one of those things just like swiper is not in every case we have we have it in a lot of hospitals in the united states and now we have it in the packs you know so people are starting to you know get get the idea that this is a good idea to do the do what i'm doing but the the swicker is going to be the big big deal because there's 150 million surgeries in the u.s every year that's a lot indeed
3: well, coming up right here on the heart of innovation we're going to find out what is next for norm and fuzzy furbush so stay with
1: us Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips.
2: Welcome back, everybody, to The Heart of Innovation. We are finishing up the show with Norm Fuzzy Furbush. So, Fuzzy, what uh, what's next on the agenda for you?
4: Next on the agenda is to actually um, launch the product. We're doing the cabbages now. We're just, these. I'm not going to say test cases, but we were, the product has been tested and it's FDA ap- approved, well, registered. So you're basically three products. That uh... three I have four, but the three products are what I call the trilogy of uh, I call it uh, lowering the count, meaning the sponge count, and losing the lint. So it's a better mouse trap, basically. Correct. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I like that. So uh, since there's so many surgeries, we we have a really good opportunity to make it happen. So um, Swicker is being done. Um, I'm, I have actually a company that's interested in distributing it because I just couldn't do it by myself. I have been doing it by myself since I started. That was thirteen years ago. And uh, but I have to get somebody that's, you know, way bigger than me. I just can't take it out by myself. You know, so and it's a lot of fun and it's very rewarding, you know, to be able to do that. When I spent ten years developing this product and I I saw the position that's on my yeah, so uh, just tell us a little bit about that. You said ten years. Ten years. Ten so, I mean years. a lot of us think
2: like, oh, this should take a year and so the creep, the crawl, walk,
4: walk run. run. Yeah. So, so when you're, you're creeping a product out, you have to understand the manufacturing process of the product. If it takes, if you can only make two in a day, Right. And you have 251 work days, let's say, right. You're only going to make 500 of them. It's not, that's not efficient. So, and if you have more than 500 people that want it every day, you, you know, it becomes complicated. So you have to go through the process of being able to make the product or is the product made overseas and then you need it shipped in. So it comes in on a container because it's super expensive to have FedEx deliver it from another country, you know, so there's all these little things, but creep when you, get a product out you you may the product may just take off and you would go creep run but you would miss stuff in the middle so creeping crawling walking running because, you, you know, you have to set the expectations. So I wouldn't try to go launch, you know, uh, 500 hospitals because I couldn't keep up with that amount of surgery. Let's launch one at a time, get some good outcomes. You know, people start adopting it. And there's a, a lot of surgeries just in one hospital. Sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can imagine a Riverside and how big it is. And that's, you know, that just managing that alone would be huge. Yeah.
3: What sort of resistance have you faced? And how do you handle the resistance? How do you handle the naysayers? You smile
4: good. That's a good thing. So we'll, we'll go back to building a medical device. In 90 device. seconds. <laughs> okay. So um, the fourth stage of building a medical device, right? You need, um, when I go on cell one, okay, first of all, the doctor's going to ask me for data. Okay. The next thing it's going to say is does it, how does it perform? How does it work? The next one they're going to say is how much does it cost? And the last one is the hardest one because I'm not a psych major, but it's behavior modification. So Dr. Phillips may be doing the same thing yeah. for the last 20 years, and I walk him to him with this new widget, and he looks at me and says, "Well, fuzz, I don't think my this is broken. So why are we fixing it today, mm. right?" So that that's pretty much in a nutshell. But um, adoption is important, but you you have to go in with uh, the idea that not everybody's going to like your product.
2: What keeps you um, up at night?
4: Um, God, I don't real. I sleep pretty good. That's I got awesome. early. Oh, hey. <laughs> I go to bed at eight thirty. I wake up at five and five to seven is kind of buzz time. You know, I mean, I can research and I'm looking at stuff, but uh, I, I'm not really staying up. I'm feeling pretty good. And I have the potential to change the standard of care and medicine with this new product. So it's
3: more about the excitement. You don't have, you're not worrying about things because the excitement and, and adrenaline along with that is so great. It's exciting.
2: It really is. It's been a fantastic show. Thanks, Fuzzy.
3: Thank you so much for Thank joining us.
2: Appreciate it. And Bailey...
1: You've been listening to The Heart of Innovation with Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips.
0: This show is distributed by the Innovators Network. For more information and other great shows and content, visit theinnovators.network.